And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation in our hearts be acceptable to you. Give us a sense of the significance of this text and the text to follow so that we will understand the three stages of Christ's kingship and be able to look to the last one without fear because he's king of my life now. We pray it in his name. Amen. Psalm 2 is known as a messianic psalm. By messianic, it means that it is looking forward to the coming of Christ. Thousands of years before the event, it spoke about the event to take place. Over 2,000 years have passed since the event we are celebrating today when it took place, and you will forgive me for, I I keep, it goes over in our minds again, as Lois and I walked down that steep years ago, we tried to place in our minds what it must have been like that day when Christ rode into Jerusalem. It's a fact, it is known, it is accepted, that is something that literally took place, and we were able to walk that road. Many would say, we should forget this. Why don't we get over it? After all, how could anything that happened 2,000 years ago plus have any significance to our lives today? Palm Sunday is the center of human history, as we shall see this morning. The reason for its relevance will be made clear as we look at the three stages of Christ's kingship. Psalm 2 begins by telling us that long before Christ even came upon the scene in Jerusalem, this whole event was planned in the mind of God. Look, if you please, at what we see in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 2. We see kings, and how we hate that word, because as far as we know, all the kings of the earth have been people that we like to despise. (laughs) Kings do not have a good reputation in our world, so to think of Jesus as a king, we we have to wipe our minds clear and clean to understand because if you look at the kings in Psalm 2, they are ganging up, if you please, to get rid of the king. Do you remember King Herod? When he found out that there was a king was born in Bethlehem, he was jealous and thought he has to get rid of him and, you know, the, the thing that he did. But we want to look this morning to look at the first stage of Christ's kingship. And how this relates to Palm Sunday and then to the consummation of his kingship. Let's look at the prophecy. That's what we have in Psalm 2. When the Magi's came, they said, we're looking for him who is born 
king. He's born king. Not will become king. He's born that way. And the word born means to have a, a history, to go beyond. He came in that way. And we were singing about Jesus being veiled. In other words, we were not able to, 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 to really grasp the fact that in that manger was someone who always lived, and not only who always lived, but someone who was reigning over life. For that is what kings do. They rule and they reign. So for them, the birth of Jesus was the promise that reached back beyond time. I want to look at two scriptures very briefly this morning. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, another term for Messiah, and he will reign as king. Behold, the days are coming. God says, I will raise up someone who will come in the midst of Israel. But he will not simply be a child of, of the earth. He is going to be in the line of David, who is a royal line, to rule and to reign, and he will reign as king. And then you get further, or closer, to our time, in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion, Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem, behold, your king cometh, or is coming. He's just, and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt of a foal of an ass. The prophecies were given by the sovereign God of one who was supposed to come, and one who will be identified, and one who will be seen and display the characteristics of being a king. Up until this time when Jesus is, is, is living in Jerusalem and in Nazareth, no one could imagine that he was more than they could see. He told his disciples over and over again, don't let anyone know this. Don't let anyone know this. It's not because he was being, what we might say, when someone doesn't want to be made known, uh, he tends to, to be shy. This has nothing to do with shyness. Jesus was saying the time to be revealed for my kingship is not yet. I must live in preparation for it. And so the prophecy was made. But the prophecy was made, my friends, not by man. There are some who believe that Jesus became the Son of God when he came to earth. No. He was always the Son of God, and that was understood by the Jews to be equal with God. But I want you to see from the prophecy to what I call the prerogative of his kingship. The declaration of his kingship. Who said that he was king? I, I don't know. You don't follow these things, I'm quite sure, as I do. Um, there are some people in Britain today who want to get rid of the monarchy. They, you know, Americans pay to go over there to see it. They want to get rid of it. And the, the queen is, is under a lot of pressure to do certain things. And she has made some adjustments 
over the last half century since she's there. And, and now we're looking at, at Kate and her husband giving birth to a potential um, line of, of kings. And if, if the world continues as it is, I don't know if they'll be able to, to become what they claim. But who made Jesus king? That's what I want you to see this morning. Listen to what our text that was read to us from Psalm 2. But I have declared my king. I have inaugurated my king. This is God speaking about God who is going to come in human flesh as a babe, but one who was nonetheless a king. A monarch, if you please, beyond what we know. The key word there is I. Why does it say, but I have installed my king? Because, my friends, the one who is speaking is himself the sovereign ruler of the universe. When he says I, in the Hebrew, it's called an emphatic noun, which means that there isn't anyone beyond him. There is no other God beside him. When he speaks, he speaks authoritatively, conclusively, and without any reason for adjustments, what he has said. The Lord said, I have installed my king. The kingship of Jesus has to do with the design of heaven. Has to do with the plan of heaven. Has to do, my friends, not with angels. For no angel is equal to Jesus Christ. He is uniquely the beloved Son of God. Equal with the Father. And God says He is to come on earth to display the kingship in eternity that will be display, displayed on earth. And so the prophecy anticipated, it goes back beyond time. Where is he who is born king? We don't make Jesus king. He is king. We recognize his kingship. But if the prophecy was there, today, Palm Sunday as we call it, is the revelation of that prophecy. And I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 21. See, I didn't tell you before that I have three texts today because you would be thinking that, is he going to be speaking three times as long? Matthew chapter 21. This is where we have the story or the report of Palm Sunday, as we call it. And I will not go into all the nuances again I'm just going to focus upon what we want, the revelation of the king. This is what's going to happen. For the first time in his life, Jesus is going to respond to those who recognize his kingship. In this, this section, we reach the conclusion of that which was in preparation for this day. Palm Sunday... It says, says Matthew, is the fulfillment of what was said centuries before that is now being fulfilled. So Palm Sunday is not simply happening. Palm Sunday is happening because 
in, on God's calendar, it was time for Jesus to reveal who he always was. It is time for the world to know who Jesus is. And so when he walks in, when he rides into Jerusalem, Psalm 2 was being fulfilled initially. Psalm 110 was being fulfilled initially. Because this was only a part of it. We want to look into what proofs have we about the rule of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus. Luke 19.37, Luke gives us the reason for Palm Sunday. He said, the people were praising God for the mighty works or the miracles they had seen. They were praising God because they were seeing things done by this man, Jesus, that was never done by any other being. Nicodemus was so moved by this, he went to Jesus and he said, you must be special for no man can do the things that you are doing except God is with him. Nicodemus was saying, there is a divinity in your living, in what you do and what you say. And I have just chosen three things to prove the kingship of Jesus, his rule over the universe. One, when he turned the water into wine. Someone puts this this way, I love this. He said, the water saw its maker and it blushed. (laughs) When he turned the water into wine, Jesus was showing that he rules over all creation, that nothing is beyond his authority. You know, Islam says that Muhammad doesn't need to do any kind of a miracle because the story of Islam is not about Muhammad, it's about what Muhammad says. Christianity is different. Christianity is about the gospel, who is Christ, and Christ, who is the gospel. And if he could not do, he's king. If he is king, you know, may I just for a moment... Um, the, the queen has, has the name. She has the position. But the queen has no authority at all. The queen is controlled by the prime minister of Britain. And when she reads the, 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 um, the declaration of the, of the present government, whichever government is rolled in by the people, the queen will say, my government, my government, my government. It doesn't belong to her. She has absolutely no authority. Jesus comes in as king in our world. And he can take what we take for granted. Water. And he can make that water to become something it never was, but was capable of becoming because of Christ when he speaks to it. He rules over creation. 
He has authority. He has power. He can speak. The one, did you notice the song we were singing? The hands that flung creation into existence are the hands that are nailed with nails. Secondly, he rules over the weather. <laughs> creation, storms. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is coming to the disciples. They're in the midst of a storm. And Jesus speaks to the storm and he says, peace, be still. And the disciples were beside themselves. Who is this man? They were walking with him and seeing some of the things that he did. And yet they did not grasp the fact that the one with whom they were walking was the ruler of creation. The king of the earth who sets the, the whole thing in motion. So he could speak to the storms. And if we want to apply that to our lives, Jesus can speak to the storms of our lives. He can tell us, he can tell the storm in your life and mine, peace be still. And he does that through his word. Thirdly, he rules over man's greatest enemy, death. Death. The raising of Lazarus. Lois <laughs> and I were reading this the other night from Luke 11, uh, John 11. <laughs> and, and, and this religious, religious woman named Martha, when Jesus said, remove this stone. I love the King James translation. He said, Lord, by now he stinketh. He stinketh. And, and here, here, here is something. You know, friends, think of those 150 lives that were snuffed out a few days ago. They can't find some of the bodies. They can't, the, the bodies are scattered all over that valley. In a day, Jesus Christ will come and bring every part of those bodies together again. Because he rules over death. Death has no power over him. And he's going to use death to destroy death. The character of Jesus shows that he rules over sin. In John 8, 46, he asked the question, Which of you can convince me of sin? You have walked with, with me. You have slept with me. You have, you have seen me. And you, you know me inside out. You've been with me in private and in public. Which of you can convince me of sin? Jesus did not ask that question hoping that the disciples would not answer. He asked the question knowing that they couldn't answer. Because there's no sin in him. He rules over that which controls your life and mine. Namely sin. That, that, that thing in our life that makes us hate, that thing that makes us greedy, that thing that makes us selfish, Jesus reigned over all of that. And so by his rule in creation, his rule in the creature, the rule over sin, he proves his kingship. Because king is not living in a palace in, in, in Buckingham Palace in London. 
Lift up your eyes, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting uh, 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 glory, that the, the, the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The king of glory is the one who came into the world and on that day rode a donkey, a donkey that had never been set on before because the only one who has the right to sit that way at that time was Christ. No one else could do it. We shall see in a minute. So he proved his kingship by what he did, by what he was. And now, what is the purpose of his kingship? Our text tells us again. He comes meek and riding on a donkey. A donkey was ridden in on in times of peace, not of war. That's why it says he comes meek. I, I thought of that for two days. Imagine if Jesus were to have come now. Just think of all NBC, CBS, CNN. They'll all be there with the cameras clicking and clicking and clicking. And then when something else happened in the world, they just forget that and go to something else. You can't, you can't ignore Jesus. See, because when Jesus came... It was not only for Israel. It was for the, he's the he's he's the glory in the whole world. He's the King of all the earth. And that name is taken by others in different parts of the world. When they hear about that name, they bow the knees. Jesus is not rejecting his claim as royalty at this time. He did before, but this is the hour. This is the time. So the prophecy brings us into the revelation. And you and I, my friends, at this time, we're living in this atmosphere of Palm Sunday. You see, Palm Sunday, my friends, is the time when we still have the opportunity to be saved. Palm Sunday is when the King of Peace comes to bring peace to us. He comes into our lives as, as he rode that beast. And he comes to take control and to give to you and to me the peace with God we never had or could never have apart from him. Palm Sunday is the, is the period of time in which the gospel is shared. People knowing that peace on earth comes because the Son of God has made peace by the blood of his cross. See, that's how relevant Palm Sunday is. You and I were not there for the prophecy. It was made before we were born. But we are here right now in the period of Palm Sunday. St. Paul, I think, had this in mind when he said, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Because, my friends, there will come a time when Jesus is going to change horses. 
I don't know when that time is. But the time of the donkey is the time of peace. It's the time of opportunity for you and for me to prepare to escape the time when he rides the white horse. It's a different time altogether. The purpose of his kingship was to give you and me an opportunity to come into a relationship with God that will make a difference not only for our lives now, but for our lives then. What he's doing on Palm Sunday, my friends, is screaming to the world, screaming to the nations, today is the day of salvation. As he rode up that hill, and as he got to the top, Luke says as he got to the top, he looked at the city of Jerusalem, and if we can vision it, Jesus wept. And he wept because he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you only knew that this time was designed for your peace and you are rejecting it. And Jesus wept over that. I wonder if he's weeping over us this morning. Just think of this God-rejecting world in which you and I are living. Not that you are doing it. Like I said this morning, I looked at about three or four religious programs and not one of them had anything to do with Easter, with Palm Sunday. Not one of them. And my friends, Palm Sunday is God still reaching out to the world. Palm Sunday is where God wants you to know in whom you should put your trust for your eternity for your eternity, for your destiny. That's why Jesus did not hold back at that point. He wanted to know, he wanted you to know that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. That's what Palm Sunday is about. It is to let you know that there's time to receive God's salvation. Do you recall what they, what they cried out? Do you recall what they cried out? Hosanna! Hosanna, son of David. The word Hosanna means grant salvation. Grant salvation. And that's what Palm Sunday was intended to be, to let you know that you have the opportunity this morning, perhaps even in this service, to say, Lord Jesus, I now believe that you are the son of God, that you died for me, and that the cross was meant for me, but you took it. And I now trust you as Savior. That's, my friend, is what Palm Sunday is about. The opportunity for you to know the grace and the love of God. And so, we look back and we talked about where Christ reigned as king in eternity. The revelation of Christ as king on Palm Sunday. And now turn with me for our last text, Revelation 19. And I'm going to tell you, I thought that as I read this text from Revelation 19 again and again and again, that God would help me not to be in any way frivolous, to be careless with this. Because friends, when you read 
Revelation 19, 11 to 16, Jesus is no longer on a donkey, a creature of peace. The text says that the heavens open, and I saw coming out of heaven on a white horse, getting ready to rage, rage war. Him who was the gentle Jesus, if you please, on Palm Sunday, is now the God of retribution in Revelation 19. Look at his attire, the attire of the king. In the first appearance, Jesus comes on earth, but in Revelation 19, he's coming out of heaven, the place of final authority. In the first, he came riding on a donkey. At this time, he comes riding on a horse, a white horse. Everything in this section of Revelation 19 is in contrast to Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, the king is humble, conveying peace. In Revelation 19, he comes in majestic form to rage war. He comes as judge. I call your attention to these words. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat upon him was called faithful, all names of Jesus, true, righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flaming of fire, consuming everything that is false. His, his head with many crowns, the complete sovereign one. He had written a name written that no man knows. This side of Jesus was not known when he marched into Jerusalem. This side of Jesus is not known to any man. Who Jesus ultimately is, is known only to God. There was a name which no man knows. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. That's not the blood of the cross. That's the war that he is in. And his name is called the Word of God. There is no gentle Jesus here, my friends. It's Jesus the judge. Jesus that was rejected on earth will be answered to when he comes again from heaven. This is speaking about the second coming of Jesus. When all the critics of Jesus will have to bow down and will say, if I only knew, but it will be too late. They rejected the donkey, and now they must meet the horse. Look at, look at the way he's dressed. Uh, several years ago when we were in Germany, we went into the, the place where Martin Luther um, did his, his thing with, with the Pope. 
And as I, as I was standing in that massive building, a huge thing, the columns in there just out of this world, I stood there and I, I tried to picture in my mind what it must have been like when Luther stood before all those dignitaries dressed in their phylacteries and, and he had to answer them. My friends, there is something more, more stupendous than that the day when the king comes dressed in his attire to make world, there will be no place. Listen to Psalm 2. It says this. <laughs> I, I, I love this. The kings of the earth, all the powers, all the atomic powers, all the intellectual powers get together to see how they could overthrow the king. The king which God has set up. And, <laughs> and, and guess what Psalm 2, 4 says? He who sits in the heaven laughs. God is not intimidated by the behavior of man. <laughs> uh, did, did you know, by the way, and, and I don't say this for effects, but do you know that, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know when it's, it's going to happen, but I am told that... Um, Evander Holyfield will be getting into the ring, or when I put it the other way, Mitt Romney is going to be getting into the ring with Evander Holyfield. I, which, which, which do you think is more intimidating? I'm sure it's not Holyfield. I, I, I can just imagine him standing there like this. And what? Now, this is for charity. I understand it's a true thing. But I thought it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. When God laughs, what is he doing? He's laughing at the arrogance of man. He's laughing at the stupidity of man who believes that they can look at the universe and say, it just happened. Who believes that Jesus Christ could have walked the streets of, of, of Jerusalem and Bethlehem and say, he's just a myth. In that day when he comes in his attire, men who rejected Jesus Christ will see him, and the scripture says they will say, ask the mountains to fall on them. It's not a pretty scene, friends. When the, when, when, when the king comes again, he will not come to make peace. He will come with those who have been raptured, who are invited to the marriage feast, and they will be with him, but he is the one to whom the rest of the world will have to answer. There's, there's a, there's, there are two fellows in this generation, uh, this, this time, that I have to ask God to help me to love them again and again and again. I, I really do. I have a Richard Dawkins, the stupidity of this brilliant man is beyond reason. But the other one is a fellow by the name of Bill Maher. Bill Maher, Moher, whatever his name is. He's the most grotesque talk show individual. His hate for God and religion is, is beyond anything. And I thought of that when I was doing this, and I thought of when the king comes and he wages war, Bill Maher will have to say, I've made a mistake. I've made a mistake. But it'll be too late. It'll be too late. 
because the king will not come again to try and make peace with Mr. Maher or with Richard Dawkins. He will come to declare, I am what I have always been. Look at his authority. Look at his authority. In Psalm 2, the kings of the earth conspire to overthrow God's anointed. He who sits in the heaven laughs. And when the king comes again, this is what is going to happen. He will say that all the kings of the world, all the kingdoms of the world cannot begin to make a dent into his authority as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Not one of them will be able to take one bet just as Mitt Romney could never intimidate Holyfield, no king of the earth can intimidate the king of kings and the lord of lords. No king. This is what we have here. His authority. He looks so gentle and meek and mild on Palm Sunday. But all oh, dear friends of mine in here this morning, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ, let me suggest to you that whether you are dead then, now, or alive, when Christ comes in this way, you will have to answer to him that he is whom he claimed to be. What is the relevance of Palm Sunday? It is that we are in the period of the king's donkey so that we might get prepared for the period of the king's white horse. The donkey, he's riding in peace to come and offer us salvation. The white horse, he comes as judge to say the world does not continue in its unbelief forever and ever. And the white horse, it will be too late. But please listen. To those who responded to him in the period of the donkey, they are invited to the marriage feast. They are going to watch the king's victory. They are going to celebrate, not as Palm Sunday, but listen to how they'll celebrate. On his thigh, and on his diadem, there is written, King of kings and Lord of lords, wherever those kings might be found. Kings who have died centuries ago, kings who are alive today, when those kings refuse Palm Sunday, they will have to respond to when the heavens open. Because when the heavens open, Jesus will declare his sovereign rule over all the universe. The opportunity is given to you today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Trust Christ now, and you will not have to live with his anger his judgment in that day. Let us pray. Father, this is a solemn way in which to end this service, but it is your word that the king is going to come again and the next time he comes, he will not be on a, on a donkey. He will be riding a white horse. And I pray, almighty God, that in these few moments, if there should be anyone in this place that has never responded 
receive Jesus Christ as Savior right where you are, man or woman, you can say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming on a donkey for me now. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died for me. I ask you to come into my life and make me one of your own. Do this, friends, because the next time he rides, he's not going to ride as a peacemaker, but as the judge. May you and I be ready in that day that we will celebrate with all angels, giving glory to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. And we pray in his name. Amen.